Hello everybody and welcome back to another episode of You Can't Handle the Truth. Today's episode is going to be the spoiler review for Bullet Train. However, I'm thinking it might be less of a spoiler review, even though I'm going to spoil every single little detail of this film, but it might be more of a comparison piece because it's based on a book and I've just finished reading the book. So I went back to see it again today because I'd only read half of the book by the time I watched Bullet Train for the first time. So I figured I may as well finish reading the book and then go and watch the film again. And so that's what I've done. So today I'm going to talk about how I feel the book compares to the film or the film compares to the book even I should say because yeah okay look I, I don't think adaptations are always fantastic okay they're fun and sometimes you can understand why certain things were changed for maybe a cinematic spectacle or if it's a tv show like there's reasons why things aren't always as they seem in the book i can totally understand that but so much of this film is really respectful and accurate to the book but then it just misses it misses a crucial piece of what makes the book so interesting and what makes the book not a film because look i know again films are films books are books you've got to have a certain justification between the two and that's why this third act of the film is completely bombastic and ridiculous and nothing like it happens in the book i knew that from the second i saw it for the first time i knew that the end of the book was not going to be anything like it was in the film so i was apprehensively awaiting how they were going to tackle the ending of the book and you know what? I think the ending of the book is terrific. Okay, there are certain things that don't work as well as the film because the main bad guy, okay, that's one thing that's been changed. Not much has been changed, but there's one character in particular that has been introduced purely for the film and there's some characters that have been cut out or shaved off slightly from the book so in the book the main overlord type figure the one that's pulling all of the strings essentially is minigishi and he is referenced in the film he is the japanese leader he's kind of the mob boss to begin with minigishi but then eventually the white death comes along and he takes his place so in the book there is no such thing as the white death but for comparison's sake the character of minigishi in the book is basically the white death in this film all right they go on very similar trajectories it's just certain things have changed in terms of the names relationships too because in the film the prince is the daughter who is also gender swapped from the book so in the book the prince is a guy the prince is a little boy that's fine i don't mind them gender swapping a character because with the name like the prince it kind of plays on the fact because she's actually a girl so i liked that i thought that was fine and joey king she does a good job you know for the most part i don't really know where the hell she goes at the end because she just completely vanishes and then turns up right at the very end gets hit by a truck exactly like the end of deadpool 2 which is another david leach film so yeah swings and roundabouts with those character developments but in the book i don't believe like as far as i'm aware from what i read there was no connection between minigishi and the prince that was purely fabricated for the film again that twist it kind of works it was a decent twist i thought they executed it okay but i don't really see the need for it to be added for a film you know because the book did just fine and the the threat and the intimidation that the prince had in the book I didn't always feel it was there for the film. Now, even though a lot of the same things happen, the prince spends most of the time with Kimura, I do feel as though Kimura himself has been kind of shut out of the movie entirely because he just spends 90% of the movie trying to get away from the prince or trying to figure out how to defeat the prince without losing his son because the prince is holding Kimura's son hostage and at the start, well, before the movie begins and before the book begins, I think that's the big thing as well. Wataru, the son of Kimura, is pushed off of a department store building and he's put in the hospital by the prince. Now, in the book, there's a lot of flashbacks that go all the way back to Kimura and Wataru and learning about their relationship, but 
In this film, there's none of that. So there's no flashbacks in regard to Kimura and Wataru. There's just flashbacks to do with everything else that really isn't necessary. There is a lot of flashbacks in this movie. And there's one point in particular. It just goes from the flashbacks of Tangerine and Lemon to the flashbacks of, I think it was the wolf. And all of this is happening. But I was so confused because there's no explicit notion of who we're actually following in these flashbacks. Because when you first meet the wolf, you don't even know who it is, right? It just says 26 years earlier, but this is right after one of the other sons of, I almost said Minigishi, but one of the other sons of the White Death, he's killed. So right after a guy, a young guy is killed, then it flashbacks to a different character entirely. I don't think that was good editing right there. I think the way they edited the first half of this movie is really choppy and it's a bit shoddy at times. I think for the most part it's fun, it's refreshing and it's a very very fast paced movie so the editing in that regard is good, it's pretty entertaining but in terms of juggling the narrative and juggling these characters because the same with the book, right? The book is not told in conventional chapters, it's told in certain character perspectives so instead of going from A to B in say chapters 1 to 10, it goes a to B to A to B to A to B in chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, blah, 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 because it's going from one character's perspective to another character's perspective, and all this is overlapping each other, and there are certain moments when in the book it actually says, we go back 10 minutes, and then you see the whole situation play out from a different point of view. So I think that works for a book because you can tell it in that manner, but with a film, it is a lot trickier, and it's going to be really tough to engage the audience if it did keep going backwards and forwards, backwards and forwards. So I can understand why they've edited it in the way they have, but to to introduce all these characters really early on at a bullet train pace, right? But then again, the bullet train doesn't seem that quick. When you see the shots in this movie, it doesn't feel any different to either the Tube or the London Northwestern Railway Service. It doesn't feel like a bullet train. So I was a bit disappointed by the actual location, but I think setting it in one place for the whole two hours is impressive. And yeah, it does rely on flashbacks a lot of the time to to kind of develop the characters more because when they're on the train it's only what's happening you can't really get an understanding of who these characters are what the relationships are with each other so i understand the need for exposition and flashbacks but i do feel as though the book benefited a lot better from that style of writing compared to the style of editing and the writing in this film too because like i said a lot of the characters are the same however there are some characters in the book that are not in the film at all so there's one character suzuki he's not main character but he appears towards the three-quarter mark of the book, and he is mainly interacting with Nanao, who is Ladybug. So that's another thing, okay? Brad Pitt's character is called Ladybug in the film, but in the book, he's Nanao, and he's also called Ladybird. So I just don't get why they're changing little things, like saying Ladybug instead of Ladybird, because everybody knows it is actually a Ladybird, unless that's American, people saying Ladybug, but little things like that, I just don't understand the need to actually change it from the book, because it works, and we know that, because... A let's be real, a lot of the people watching this film... Okay, actually, no, forget that, forget that. I was going to say a lot of the people watching this film, they may have read the book, but chances are they will not even know this is based on a book by Kotaro Isaka. So I do feel as though it's catering more to an audience that haven't read the book as opposed to those that have. But then again, that kind of pissed me off because a lot of people want to read the book before watching a film because they want to compare it like I'm doing right now. So for me understanding the book and understanding the themes about luck and karma they just kind of shoehorn that in in really weird ways in the film 
and I don't really feel as though it works too well a lot of the time. Some of it does work, but the ending of the book especially, I kind of don't want to spoil it, but also I've got to because it's a spoiler review, okay? So you've been warned, if you want to go and read the book of Bullet Train, go and do so now because I am going to spoil the very end of it, but it's great, okay? So Brad Pitt's character, at the end of the book, he survives and he goes to a goes to a store, okay? He goes to a shop because in his back pocket, he finds a kind of like a scratch card thing or a lottery ticket that he got from Lemon earlier in the book. And so he goes to, he goes to a shop to redeem the scratch card but he's always unlucky okay everything that happens to him he's unlucky if he's in one queue and another one opens up no matter how long the other one is go to that queue because Nanao is seriously unlucky and everything always goes slower for him so when he's in this shop he sees in the adjacent queue Suzuki the character from earlier on who interacts with Nanao and the prince and so when Suzuki sees Nanao in this queue he then goes to the other queue and of course an old lady drops all of her money at the front of Nanao's queue and it just ends up going way slower for Nanao and then Suzuki ends up being first in the queue before Nanao's even checked out so that's funny to begin with but then it gets even better because when he redeems the scratch card he's obviously thinking I'm so unlucky I'm not going to win anything but he does win okay he wins third prize and what is third prize it's a box okay it's a cardboard box it says and within it is a bunch of fruits and there's only two fruits that are separated into two different piles tangerines and lemons now that that is a perfect ending because in the book and also in the film there are two characters tangerine and lemon I don't think they're British in the book, right? It doesn't really say any nationality of what they are in the book, but I assume they're either Asian or American or anything like that. But it doesn't matter because in the film, they are played by Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Tyree Henry. Yeah, I'm not sure about Brian Tyree Henry's accent. It's a bit skewiff, but by the end of the book, both of them are dead. And in the film, Lemon survives, but Tangerine dies. But throughout both stories, there's a lot of interactions between Lemon, Tangerine, and the now Ladybug. So there's quite a good relationship built up there, even if they are trying to kill each other the entire time but then by the end of the book the fact that he's received a box of tangerines and lemons even after they've died this was set two months after the events of the bullet train incident itself I think that's genius I think that's a perfect way to end the book and I really wish the film would have done the same because there's a little hint of it all right so the prince dies because lemon drives into her in a truck and out of the back of the truck stumbles a bunch of tangerines so there is a certain element of it's trying to be similar to the book, but it doesn't capture the same essence because you feel for the character being so unlucky in the book, as well as the film, the fact that he's received a box of those two fruits is so beautiful and fantastic. I was loving the end of the book. I thought that was brilliant. So really wish they'd done an alternate ending for the movie because that for me would have sold the film as being incredible and well worth a watch. I can say it is worth a watch. It's a good film and it's an enjoyable film, but it's just a bit chaotic at times and it's very messy. The script isn't the smoothest or the cleanest because some of the jokes really work. Well, look, after watching it for the first time, I thought 70% of it worked. Second time, I thought maybe 60% worked, but then the parts that did work were really good. So I'm really torn on how to feel about the film because the first half especially is accurate to the book. However, it's not as fun, but then towards the middle of the film, it gets really funny and really entertaining. But then the end, the end just blows it all out of proportion and it's insane. Like there's some crazy shit that happens at the end that I don't think need to happen because they don't in the book. It's quite a it's quite a smaller ending for a book to have. But I do think with a story like this, we've had excitement throughout the entire story in both the book and the film. But it doesn't need that big classic third act CGI cluster f that a film always has. Same with the Batman, right, it's very similar to the Batman because the Batman was setting up as a really solid film and then the ending just turned it into something it didn't need to have. 
Same with Bullet Train, even though I think a lot of people will want to see the Bullet Train crashing into another train and Brad Pitt going flying all over the place and some crazy nonsense happening whilst Holding Out for a Hero is playing. A Japanese version of Holding Out for a Hero, I might add, but I do think that's the second best use of Holding Out for a Hero since Shrek 2. So kudos to that. I'll give it some brownie points because I did find that very entertaining. I think in addition to this, this is something that films benefit a lot more so than books because you can have a soundtrack, you can have something playing for the audience to listen to, whereas in a book, you have to do describe everything and it's really difficult to make something so expressive in terms of the narrative as well as what you're supposed to listen to at the same time so if you're reading a book and it said a Japanese version of holding out for a hero starts playing whilst the bullet train goes absolutely mental driving into another bullet train people flying about all over the place getting chopped in half getting their heads ripped off everything goes off in that third act so I think from a film perspective and a cinematic spectacle it's terrific, like it's a very, very solid ending, and I had a lot of fun with it. But it just, it's not the same as the book, alright, and we don't need a big explosive ending because we've had fun throughout, and I was having a good time leading up to that point, but then I can understand why they do have it, because right before this, when there's a big reveal about why the White Death is doing what he's doing and how he hired all of the people on this train in the movie, but in the book it's different, so I'll get onto it, so I prefer it in the book, I'm not gonna lie. So in the movie, it's the White Death pulling all the strings and he wants to get everybody that had a part to play in his wife's death on board this train killing each other all right so the hornet lemon and tangerine his own son and carver who actually isn't brad pitt's character because brad pitt's character is mistaken for another hitman another assassin so that's kind of funny i mean <laughs> cameo ryan reynolds plays carver that's a two second cameo just like brad pitt's two second cameo in deadpool 2 so is it necessary <laughs> is it really necessary I just, I, I don't know. I should be having fun with that sort of thing and Channing Tatum cameos in it too. But for me, I just can't look past it as being really cheap. Like just a cheap move. The fact that Sandra Bullock, Brad Pitt and Channing Tatum were all in The Lost City together just a couple of months back. And now they're all in this together too. And now bringing Ryan Reynolds back because he cameoed in Hobbs and Shaw as well, David Leach's previous film. And now they've repaid the favour for Brad Pitt cameoing in Deadpool 2. I don't, I, I don't know. I just don't know how to feel about that because I know it's only two seconds and it shouldn't impact a movie. But when a film has these cameos that are just meant to make you go, oh, that's fun. I like that. It just, it makes Hollywood seem like one big happy family. Right? The fact that all of these actors and directors keep working together and they want to find a way to plug somebody into it as best they can. But... I just, it, it doesn't appeal to me. Like, I'm not a huge fan of things doing that. I like it when a cameo is meaningful, right? When it's respectful and when there's a reason, then that's good. But just having a big reveal of Carver being Ryan Reynolds, there's, there's no point. There's just no point. We didn't even need to know who it was, really. It could have just been a guy wearing a mask, but the fact that he takes the mask off and oh, it's Ryan Reynolds, oh my God, that's crazy. I just, I didn't care for it. And I love Ryan Reynolds, but... Oh my god, yeah, this film just, uh, it tested my patience a bit throughout, I'm not gonna lie. And like I said, the bit before the big climactic third act, it, it starts to just grind to a halt, right? So the entire one hour, 45 minute runtime, I'd say, up until this point, is a bullet train. It's going stupidly fast and it's really fun. But then it gets to the point where it's the big reveal and it just slows down and it just it just crashes a bit. And it's even more annoying because at this point in the film, two of my favourite actors are in it and they're only in it for this f 
bit. So Michael Shannon, he plays the White Death. He's such a great actor, wasted in this. Right, He does have a couple of good moments at the end, but the rest of the film, non-existent. So when you've got a character that has been introduced purely for this movie, even though he's very similar to Minigishi from the book, but I just think when you are having a new character, they could have done something a lot different. But if they are just introducing a new character, but having him do the same sh that the older character does in the book, what's the point? And when you've got an actor like Michael Shannon who can do any range, give him a bit more to do, please. And also the same for Hiroyuki Sanada. I think he is such a great actor. He was in The Last Samurai in Mortal Kombat, and he's so good in this too, but... Again, wasted. He just spends a lot of the time on the other end of a phone call, and that's exactly how it is in the book too, so that's fine, but... Alright, there's another big change from the book to the film, actually. His wife, so Kimura's mother... Okay, I should have mentioned that. He plays Kimura's dad in the film. He's just the elder, and Kimura is the father. I kind of like that, because I'm not going to lie, in the book, there comes a point when Kimura is shot, Kimura's, you know, supposed to be dead in the bathroom, bleeding out at least, and his dad comes onto the train, along with his mom... But in this, his mom's already dead. Right? His mom died in that tragic flashback sequence when Minigishi was slaughtered by the White Death. He also killed Kimura's mom. So obviously, tragedy, you know, let's kill the mom. That happens in every f movie ever. But in the book, his mom and his dad both come onto the train, talk with the prince, talk with Suzuki as well. There's a lot more development there for both characters, his mom and his dad. His mom being alive for one, but there does come a point in the book when it just lost me because old man Kimura, okay, so obviously the same surname. Kimura is just a surname, right? So the first name of his son is Yuichi, I think, but I don't know what the first name of old man Kimura is. So there came a point in the book when he just started saying, Kimura did this, Kimura did that, and I'm like, I thought Kimura was dead in the bathroom. What, what the f***? But then it's talking about his dad. It's talking about old man. So that's why they're saying the elder in the movie. So it's just for a dumb audience. It's a dumbed down, westernized, whitewashed movie. And yeah, some little bits of that work. I can understand that. But also I do like the authenticity and the Asian representation in the book. Because Ladybird's character... Oh, Ladybug. God damn it. Ladybug's character in the book, right, Brad Pitt. He is called the Ladybird because he's unlucky. But a Ladybird with seven spots on its back is, what is that, like, the pinnacle of good luck? Because it's channeling all of the world's bad luck onto its back, so it harnesses the good luck for other people, I guess. So, in the book, that's why it's called Ladybird, and also the fact that his name is Nanao. From what I can remember, it says in the book that apparently the number seven is in the name Nanao, so that's kind of a lot more understanding of why he's called Ladybird. But in the film, it's just meant to be as a joke, because he's unlucky. So I don't really like that too much, because obviously... Brad Pitt was not envisioned when writing the book. He's obviously far from the actor that probably should have played him, but I do think Brad Pitt works in this film. I think he's very, very funny for the most part. There are some really dumb moments that don't quite work, and he does this weird, I don't know, comedic style at times. It's, it's almost like the end of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but heightened to a level that shouldn't really have gone there. But for the most part, he's really funny and he's so entertaining to watch i mean brad pitt is one of the best actors he's just so lovable and he's so captivating to watch so it does work okay at the center of this film you are having a great time along with brad pitt and i do think the rest of the cast do a pretty decent job aaron taylor johnson a lot of people are gonna think ding dong right he's fit fair enough he does look quite good but i do love how you've got kick-ass and percy jackson in this movie like what year are we in <laughs> is it 2010 all over again what the hell but also thomas the tank engine this is what i love so much thomas the tank engine is referenced a ton by lemon in the book same with the film right i was dreading the fact that they may have cut out all of thomas the tank engine references for the movie before watching it but thankfully Every single reference to Thomas the Tank Engine and Diesel and Percy and Gordon, 
all the rest of them is in this movie, so that's really entertaining and really funny. Again, Brian Tyree Henry is good, but his accent uh, <laughs> it wavers at times. It really f- wavers. But for the most part, it's very fun. I love the dynamic and the chemistry that those two have with each other. And I do think it's funny having a movie like Bullet Train, a huge blockbuster, referencing Thomas the Tank Engine every 10 minutes. It is pretty hysterical. And I think a lot of people are going to find that hugely entertaining. So definitely there's plenty to enjoy for that. And also, fun little reference. I don't know how many people are going to understand this or if it's going to go over the heads of everybody. But the moment when he's speaking to Logan Lerman. Okay, so Logan Lerman played Percy Jackson in the two films released back in years ago and there's a moment when he's talking him through Thomas the Tank Engine trains and he says you you remind me of a Percy and I'm just like that's great (laughs) that's great (laughs) Percy Jackson brilliant I love that but yeah overall the film is good okay the film is very enjoyable it's it's too quick at times and then it's too slow at times the pacing is all over the place they need to work on the script they need to make it a lot more concise and really home in on the humor because half the jokes just don't land and a lot of the stuff that happens it's it's simultaneously trying to be weighty and give huge exposition in these characters as well as trying to be funny but it doesn't always work because there's one ca- okay the wolf i knew this going into it but the wolf dies pretty much instantly in the book and in the book he's described as a shorter guy with a flat cap on but in the movie he's played by bad bunny who's a musician a rapper and also a wrestler he's trash he's he's not good in this film at all he's awful but i was left feeling a bit empty because he gets a huge flashback sequence a huge montage taking us through his entire life and his rise to the top of a gang in mexico and then him finding love and then getting married and then obviously at that point something really vital happens and everybody at the wedding dies including his wife so that's him wanting to get revenge hence why he's on the bullet train and the way that worked to tie into the first time we see him is great however taking us through a five minute montage only to then kill him just a couple of minutes later i don't like that it's just it's a fake out okay and we've seen it done before we've seen it done better before you look at deadpool 2 i mean another david leach film this feels like all of his films combined into one, but also it feels like it's just copying things straight out of Deadpool 2 multiple times, the ending especially, as well as this. So you're introducing these characters, you're hyping them up. Same with the Hornet, okay? The Hornet is always there lurking, but you don't actually know who they are and you don't see them. But then when they're introduced, they just keep saying bitch. It's like Scary Terry from Rick and Morty. I'm going to find you, bitch. I'm going to kill you, bitch. It's just like, okay, why does she keep saying bitch? that's her character development that's as far as it goes it's so weird but then she dies instantly and i do think that is kind of funny because brad pitt is so helpless for these sort of occasions he just accidentally kills people the same okay to be fair brad pitt kills almost every single major character in this film that does die so he kills tangerine he kills the wolf and he kills the hornet and he's never really trying at any time apart from tangerine but in the book it's a bit different however it is still very similar except in the book he snaps his neck and in the film he shoots him in the throat and he just bleeds out so that's you know tragic but i do think killing the certain characters in the book that stay dead was a better idea than having them fake out killed in this film because lemon survives but i feel like he should have died at least twice and well more than that to be fair because there's a lot of fighting with brad pitt where surely anybody would get brain damage or just die instantly having a laptop thrown at your face that would hurt a lot but nobody seems to get hurt in this movie they just brush it off fight back and just dish it out even harder so i don't understand the pain gauge in this movie because it just feels as though everybody's made of plastic or sponge absorbing every single hit and dishing out 10 times harder it doesn't make any sense but i do think 
the action itself it's directed very well and it's choreographed pretty fantastically too so ultimately i cannot fault the action because it does what it says on the tin it's a movie about assassins on a train there is going to be violence there's going to be blood and there is a ton of blood towards the end as well it's crazy that's when hiroyuki sanada really comes into play the elder kicks so much ass slices people in half left right and center and also the white death as well the white death death scene that's a f tricky phrase to say but when he dies getting half his face blown off by a rigged pistol that is so bloody it's so intense but i loved it so i did enjoy this film i did have a great time with it i just think the book the book is a little bit better however it's quite long like it was about 49 chapters long so i can understand if people just want to watch a two-hour movie and to be fair to it the film it takes everything it needs to from the book and the only bits that are changed or the only bits that are skipped out on are the flashbacks or the exposition scenes to kind of give us more of an insight into certain characters that were never that big in the movie to begin with. So I can totally resonate with and commend the film for you know adapting a book very solidly for the most part. It's just that ending is nothing like it is in the book because it needs to be explosive and huge for a film and for an audience to go wow that was insane but by the end of the book you are certainly what well, i was you are certainly thinking that was a great ending that was really fun so i do love both of them in fact i think the book is great i think the film is fun it's not one of my favorites of the year and i do prefer david leach's other films like atomic blonde and even deadpool 2 probably but i think this film handles a lot of things very well but some things not very well so ultimately it's a very good time at the cinema if you want to go and watch Bullet Train, if you want to see Brad Pitt kick ass, if you want to see everybody kick ass, if you want to see some pretty intense moments too, and a couple of good twists, right? There are some good twists here and there, more so than in the book, I believe. But also in the book, there's a great kind of insinuation and ambiguity to it because the Hornet in the book is believed to be two people, the conductor as well as the actual Hornet in the film who dies, Zazie Beetz's character. So I do think having the conductor as a second hornet would have been great for this movie because we do see the conductor a couple of times but just having the hornet killed off straight away without there being a second twist later on i did find that a bit underwhelming especially reading the book and understanding that twist because i thought that was great and i think in the book as well it's actually the hornet that recruits some of the people onto the train in order to get close to minigishi in order to kill him so i think it's very clever the way it does that and it keeps you guessing left right and center the film doesn't really do that. The film just kind of does it in a paint-by-numbers way. There's not really much of a big reveal. However, the reveal that his wife was killed by Carver and everybody had a part to play in it, I think that works. I think that was good. But ultimately, it means nothing because Carver is not a character we've seen before and really care about until it's Ryan Reynolds. Oh my god, that's huge. Yes, love him. That's great. Yeah, yeah, cool. Love cameos love them anyway with that i don't want to speak for too much longer because i'm aware this could be a pretty long review one of the longest i've done in a while so i would recommend going and reading the book bullet train by kotaro isaka very very good i still find it a bit baffling that certain characters are not in it at all in the movie but in the book they are either not dead or they're in it a lot more so i would have liked to have seen maybe not a longer movie but a a more well-defined movie i think that's the best way to put it because a lot of the movie it does get it right and there's a lot of imagery that i was imagining in my head reading the book 
that came to life in the movie. And I think they did a great job adapting you know, the majority of it. But there are certain moments in the book as well that are 10 times funnier than what you've seen in the film. So there's a part in the book that really showcases Ladybug's bad luck because he's about to get off the train at a station he really needs to get off of. And then the train comes to a halt. He then drops his briefcase. It goes flying down the carriage. He then goes to get it. As the doors open, he reaches down, but he can't quite reach it. So he goes a bit closer, reaches down, stands back up, hits his head, falls over and doesn't even make it to the doors in time. And the prince is just stood there. And it literally says something like the prince stares amazed, unable to say anything because he's just thinking like, what the f***? What is this guy doing? So the humor in the book really works to showcase the unluckiness. But in the movie, it's just kind of like expected. And he goes to therapy and we're supposed to believe that's really funny. And a lot of a lot of weird gags there's a lot of weird gags in that first half an hour i don't think a single joke fully landed i mean there's a couple of funny moments like chuckleworthy but ultimately it's not until the end of the movie that it gets really funny and very very entertaining there's a bit with the snake as well that's very accurate to the book too actually you know the fact that he gets bitten by the snake and he wraps around his arm i liked that so i had a good time with both and even though i thought less worked the second time watching bullet train in the cinemas I think the parts that did work worked even better. So I did have a great time with it. It was a bit slow towards the end, but then picks right up, has a great ending. It's insane. And I do prefer the ending of the book, but still a great ending nevertheless. So go and enjoy it. Go and watch Bullet Train in cinemas right now. You can buy the book anywhere they sell books, whether it's Amazon or WH Smith's or anywhere in America. Target, I think Target does books to be fair. I think they do actually. Uh, or just get the audiobook on Audible. This is not sponsored in any way. However, if you'd like to sponsor me, Amazon, I'm open to suggestions. With that, I have been Kieran. This has been Bullet Train, the comparison slash spoiler review. I'm trying to think if there's anything else to spoil other than pretty much everybody dies except for Kimura and Wataru survives, thank God. His dad survives, his mom's already dead. Uh, Nanao survives. Uh, Maria as well. F*** Sandra Bullock in this movie. I, I, I don't think she has enough to do. And that's the same with everybody else. They don't have enough to do. So it's kind of focusing on the wrong people because it's focusing on the prince a lot of the time. And I just don't really care for the prince that much. But in the book, I did a little bit more because it was quite funny, but also scarily intimidating. A 14-year-old schoolboy threatening these adults on the train. But in the movie, it's just Joey King, who, yeah, she's a good actor, absolutely. But I don't think she commanded it as well as probably other people could have done. But I don't know who, but... I just think some development tweaks there would be great. But apart from that, it's it's a fun film. It's very fun. So I hope you've enjoyed. Let me know what your favourite uh, book-to-movie adaptation is. Are you a fan of the adaptations? Do you think they should just stick to books? Do you think they should turn every longish book into a TV series to develop it more? Because honestly, a bullet train TV series might work if you look at a different character each week. Maybe just half an hour, 20 minute episodes going from one set of characters to another. That could have worked because in the book it goes from, say, Fruit to Nanao to Kimura to the Prince to Fruit to Kimura to the Prince to Nanao, all the rest of it. So, oh my god, also, okay, very quickly, there's another character in the book, Morning Glory. He would have been such a great addition to this movie if Nick Offerman played him. Because as I was reading the book, the bluntness that comes from this character, Morning Glory... He's just like Ron Swanson, and I really feel as though if he was in the movie played by Nick Offerman, I would have loved it so much more because I love him as an actor, and I just love Ron Swanson references, so I do feel as though a character like Morning Glory could have been utilised really well in the movie, but 
oh well, swings and roundabouts, there's some good, there's some bad in both, okay, in the book and the movie, the book's a little long, the book's a little slow at times too, so with that, bullet train, go and check it out, both the book and the movie, and I shall speak to you, I hope you've enjoyed, in the next episode of You Can't Handle the Truth.